Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Shkalim, daf vav, page six. Our daf opens with a mission of this time, which is so nice and convenient. Halachi Gimel. Hamchanes ma'ot va'amar harei elu l'shikli. Beit Shammai omim motaran dava, ubeit Hillel omim motaran chulin. So here, Yodena, we actually know these guys' names, right? It's a mission, of course, so we're familiar with these people, these parties. Um, and we have a Beit Amachlok, a Beit Hillel, Beit Shammai, which is, you know, again, familiar territory. The case here is if you gather together your small money, right, meaning you have a bunch of coins that are supposed to then be combined in terms of value to count for your shekel, for your machatita shekel, right? And then you figure out, as you put it all together, that the amount that you've designated here actually equals the value of it is more than your machatita shekel. It counts, it's, I don't know, 60 cents, right? The equivalent. So Beit Shammai says that the leftover coins, you put that in, you know, it's already been designated, so you put it there as for a nidava, which is a, you know, a, and offering, it's just a present. It's a gift that you give, right, to the Beit HaMikdash. Um, and the idea here is that those will be used, right, towards this holy purpose, because it's already been consecrated, even if it isn't of the status of the shekel, because it's the overflow, right? You've already you've already fulfilled that obligation with the, with the amount that is less than the full amount that you have here, right? And then Beit Hillel says, no, no, no. The leftover money, right, that those coins that, amount to more than a shekel or your machatita shekel is not is not hektesh right is mutaran chulin chulin meaning mundane it's not sacred it's not consecrated because since he had in mind the person has in mind to designate the amount of of a half shekel right so then anything that's extra is clearly not it's clearly not consecrated because that is not part of this project, right? Everything that you're doing right now is for the machatita shekel. It's not that this pile of money should be consecrated and some of it should be machatita shekel. It's that I'm designated this to be <coughs> excuse me, my machatita shekel. And if some of the some of the money if it if there's extra, well then that shouldn't count for anything, right? So as far as um Hillel is concerned, this is indeed um not consecrated. And you can use it presumably for anything else, right? The Mishnah continues. So Beit Hill and Beit Shammai agree that in the case of you have, let's say, a pile of coins, and you say, from this, from these coins, I will bring my machatita shekel, I will give my shekel, then the leftovers from which you like you never designate that whole pile to be to be hectic or to be the shekel or anything like that, you say from this pile of coins, which are just regular money, not consecrated, you take from that, that's going to be the machatita shekel. So both Beit Hill and Beit Shammai agree that the leftovers there, whatever is not counted towards the shekel, is chulin. It's regular. It goes back to your pocket. You could do whatever you want with it. Now we introduce a whole separate category of karban, namely the sin offering, the chatat. Right? You have, a, again, you presumably you have a pile of money, a pile of coins. You say, these are for my sin offering. Then Shavin then everybody agrees that the that anything that would be left over from the amount that you would have to pay for your sin offering is going to be a gift to the Beit Mikdash and it's going to be used for whatever 
for the wood, for whatever it's going to be used, it has to be used in a consecrated way. We'll talk in a moment um, more about why that is the case um, for this kind of state, this sweeping statement, I would say, about these are for my sin offering and why it's different from the machatzita shekel in one moment, because just the case and the Gemara is rounded out, but if you have a pile of coins and you say, from this, I will take uh, money for my korban, for my chatat, for my sin offering, then shavin shemutar chulim. Then Beit Hill and Beit Shammai both agree that the leftovers are, again, mundane, regular money, put them in your pocket. What's the difference? So Rabbi Shimon asked this question. I'm Rabbi Shimon. Ma ben shkalim lechatat? What's the difference between taking the money, designating it for machatita shekel and a korban chatat? And I would say that even intuitively, we would answer that the difference is, of course, that the machatita shekel is a very set sum of money, and a korban chatat is an unbound set of money. You know, the the value of a chatat can vary, will vary, right, by definition, as compared to the machatita shekel, where the value of the machatita shekel, I don't mean in terms of an economic uh, currency equivalencies, but beyond that, you're always talking about is a half shekel, so that you know that from this pile of coins, if you have, you know, three quarters of a shekel, then you've got 25 you know, 25, I guess in this case, we say agarot, whatever, over the, uh, you know, half again as much of what you need. And you know what you need because it's a designated sum as a, compared to a, a chatat. So here, the, the Mishnah here continues, kitzba <laughs> here meaning, again, this uh, fixed value. It's a very, it's a designated sum, uh, which is not the case for a chatat. And really, a korban chatat can be brought of you know varying values because whatever the person can bring can bring that's what they'll pay you know whatever, however much they can and then Rabbi Huda says well one second but even for shkalim for machatita shekel there's no real fixed value why does he say this so when Ben Israel um uh they they made Aliyah. What does it mean that they made Aliyah? Right, they came back from where were they? They were in Babel. Um, he might actually be talking about the first moving to Israel. Um, one second, Yudina, do you have a sense it's, it's of this? Talking about the Shivatzion. Shivatzion after the time yeah. of Ezra. This is the time of Ezra. Okay, which of course makes much more sense. I'm sorry for my confusion here. Aflish Kalim Einan Shalu Yisrael Menagola. They had this kind of money that were called darkonot, which in English seems to be called darics, which were the coins. Oh, of course. These were the coins that were in, in the gola, right? And they were worth two shekels. So then they said, well, one second. They, con- they went back to contributing a sela, meaning what they offered was the weight of... Um, of the shekel, as it's mentioned in the Torah, which is a cell, which is more than what we think of, of a chatzish, of a machatzita shekel, of a half shekel. So people would give a half sella, right? Meaning we're dealing here with three different currencies. We've got this, the currency that they brought with them from Bavel. We've got the shekel, which is the mitzvah, right? In terms of the actual commandment. But since they're not functioning in, in, in an actual currency of shekelim, they then talked about a cella, which seems to be, you know, I want to call it the raw money, except for I'm sure that's not true because no money 
rarely does money actually count without actually having a government behind it, right? So they would, but they're talking about weighing the amount of silver. So then they went back to contributing. What did they do? Another coin, which is a tiva, tvain, which uh, that coin is conveniently worth a half a shekel. Some people wanted to pay in dinarim. A dinar is the half value of the tiva, which means it's a quarter shekel. And I guess you'd then pay two dinarim. But Chazal said no. They said they did not accept it. And they required that it be at least the half a shekel that was given in the Torah, meaning you can't give half of a half shekel and have it count as half shekel, right? It's too little. But the point is, and this is Rabbi Huda's point, is that once you're dealing with all these different currencies, you're trying to figure out, are you paying in Darkonim? Are you paying in Slain? Are you paying in Tivain? Are you paying in Dinarim? None of these are really a clear fixed value of a shekel, right? So the idea that you've got like, I am giving a shekel, it's a little bit, um, maybe it's counterintuitive because you wanted to say it's just the value, but here this Gemara, uh, it's not the Gemara, it's the Mishnah. The Mishnah makes it clear, I think, that there was some variety in how they came to determine what you were paying in your machatzita shekel. So Rabbi Shimon, of course, has an answer to Rabbi Yehuda. And I'm going to say again that this, these Mishnayot in, in Shkalim feel to me like Gemara, right? Because there's, so, there's back and forth and there's detail and there's argumentation. Rabbi Shimon says back, Af al pi yad kulan shaveh. Shava. Um, he says, even so, right? Yeah, okay, so you're talking about people using different coins, but at the end of the day, everybody's got an equal standing. Everybody's giving the same amount of al khatat, but when you're talking about a korban khatat, it's not a matter of your coinage, it's a matter of the value. Your sin offering could be worth the value of a sella. Or it could be worth two slaim, or it could be worth three slaim. Part of that is how wealthy are you? What can you afford to bring as your korban? And the idea here is, of course, that, you know, I don't really, I will say, I don't fully understand Rabbi Yehuda in this case, because I feel like just because you could bring it in various sums of money, various forms of money, it doesn't really change the phenomenon of the machatzita shekel as compared to the korban chatat. I would have thought that Rabbi Yehuda would have accepted this point of Rabbi Shimon, and I would say that the compilers of the Mishnah, Rabbi Huda and company, right, do accept Rabbi Shimon because they end on him, right, meaning he's got the final word within the Mishnah. The Gemara itself does not exactly undertake a discussion, well, it's a long Gemara here, um, but I, I don't see, I didn't see any um, discussion of Rabbi Huda on this exact point. Uh, look, it's an interesting Mishnah, uh, and this whole discussion here over you know, the idea of having to contribute a set amount, but what if you sort of set aside extra and how does that fit into what your contribution is? Um, you could see how this would, first of all, actually happen, but I think it also shows us how careful they were um, with designating things for the temple. And, you know, I, I'm going to think about this in a totally different way, but how often are some of us at work where, you know, I don't know, you may take a piece of paper from the printer to jot something down or you're using it for scrap paper and you write something personal on it. If it was temple property, like you can't do any of those things with it. And this Mishnah, I think, really drives that home. Shekels are going to be its own thing. But when it comes to the chatas or anything else, you know, if once you've designated money to purchase something, it's designated to the temple. and You just can't take it away from that designation. 
I really like that example. I also need to um, recant. I have found Rabbi Huda's position in the Gemara, and I want to just ex- I want to articulate it not just because I said the wrong thing. I wanted to say that Rabbi Huda Omer. The reason I missed it is because he's because it's the Yerushalmi, and the Yerushalmi spells Yehuda, which I would spell Yud Vav Hey Dalad Yud Yud Hey Vav Dalad Hey, which is how the Mishnah spells it. In the Gemara, he's called Rebbe Yuda, Yud Vav Dalad Aleph. So when I'm looking for Rebbe Yehuda in my preparation, it, it's Rebbe Yehuda. It's somebody else. Now it's not somebody else. It's the same guy, but his name is kind of they they their um what's it called? Their spelling, their way they conveyed the words in writing was just a different sound. You know, Yuda versus Yehuda. So in any case, that's all. That's all I want to say. And he he does, you know, the Gemara does raise the question of exactly what was he talking about. That's all. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to move on now to the uh, next Mishnah that's here. And I'm excited more about the Gemara that comes afterwards. And I'm sure all of you know why I'm going to be excited. So the uh, Mishnah reads as follows. Halacha Dalad, right? Mutash galin chulin. So this sur- surplus of money that's left over from, sh- from Shkalim is going to be chulin. But now the mission is going to list what about other things that were designated, like, you know, uh, you know, and what happens with their surplus. Mutar asirutaifa, right, the surplus of money that was set aside for this purchase of the tenth of Efa. And again, the Gemara gets into uh, the difference between the Kohen offering of this versus uh, a regular person. But essentially, there's a tenth of an Efa flower that was needed for the Mincha that somebody needed to bring, right? Mutar the surplus of money that was set aside to purchase bird pairs for Zavin, Zavos, and women who had given birth. right? Surplus money that was set aside to buy Chatos and Ashamos. Their surplus is actually in the Dava. In other words, it just goes to this voluntary communal offering fund. Zahaklal, this is the rule. Anything that's bought be, brought because of a an offering that's a sin offering or a guilt offering, mutari nedava. Their surplus is going to be for this nedava. Okay, now the mission is going to go on to say, if you have the surplus, what should you use the surplus for? Can you use it for anything in the temple? And the answer is no, you can't. Mutar ola la ola. So if you have surplus for money that was supposed to be used for an ola, you have to use it to buy another ola. Mutar mincha la mincha, right? Surplus money for mincha is used for mincha. Mutar shlamim lishlamim, and surplus money for shlamim is used for shlamim. Now here's the line: Mutar hapesach lishlamim, the surplus money set aside for pesach lishlamim. So again, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this. We're obviously recording this before pesach, um, but this is the daf that is for erev pesach. And and as much as you said that you felt shkalim was misplaced. And it was the opposite of the Nase Nistar that we would talk about at my father's <laughs> I felt like this is like, this is what he's always talking about. Like, this is a real Nase Nistar, that here we are, Erev Pesach, and our daf is really talking about the Korban Pesach, right? And then it goes on and says, Mutar Nazirin Linazirin, the surplus of Nazirin goes to Nazirin, Mutar Nazir Linazava, and the surplus of money of a, of a, you know, of a Nazir, right, has to go also to a Nazir. And it's just going to go, um, you know, uh, and all of this is basically, sorry, Mutar Nazir Linadava goes to this communal offering. Now, what happens then on the DAF and the piece that I was interested in is we now get into the, a huge discussion about a Pesach becoming a Shlomim. 
And so I cannot read the whole draft here because we obviously don't have time for that. And also, I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of catching up over the next week. So Anne and I are actually trying to be mindful that these are the podcasts in the next few days are sort of in consumable Pesach cramming in size. Um, but first, it starts with <laughs> wanting to figure out how do we know that a Pesach changes to a Shlomen? Now, if you remember, this was a huge topic that we learned at Masach Sachim, like around Daf Samech, somewhere around there. It pops up in a variety of places, right? But it was in the middle of Pesachim. Talmud Lamar, min hatzon shlamin, right? So they quote this Pasuk here, which is from Vayikra Perakimel, where it says, and if from the flock is his offering as a sacrifice of Shlomen. Anything that is from the flock, right? Meaning a korban pesach, right? Because remember, korban pesach can come from sheep or from goats, can also come as a shlamin, basically when it's not in its proper time. And then the Gemara gets into basically the Yerushalmi discussion, right? Or at least here, we didn't learn look at the Yerushalmi on Pesachim, but gets into a whole discussion here about uh, what happens you know, how does a Pesachim become a Shlomim? You know, what do you do with other Korbanot that need to become other Korbanot? But they spend a lot of time with Pesachim Shlomim. And then they get to this part. Lishmo v'shalo lishmo v'shar And they ask this case, which we had in Pesachim, right? Which was, if a Pesach was slaughtered for its own sake, right? But not for its own sake during the rest of the days of the year, right? So in other words, this was this weird case that we talked about, that somehow a person takes an animal which he designated as a Pesach, right? But he slaughters it before the 14th of Nisan. Can I kind of get back to how I love that this is the daft for the 14th of Nisan? Okay. So, <laughs> right? And so basically his intention when he does the Shrita part is for a Pesach, but the latter, but, but during the latter part of the Shrita, he decides it's really going to be for a Shlomim. And so then the Gemara basically wants to discuss, is this valid? Is it not valid? You know, what actually... Um, happens here. And here they introduce a different concept. Again, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but I just want people to pay attention to it. This concept of bishtika. And I was, again, this was one of these great instances where we're familiar with some of the Gemara of the Bavli, and we see the Yerushalmi. It has some of the same concepts, but here it's introducing a new word into here, right? That basically the idea is, right, of Rabbi Boon bar Chia b'shem Shmuel bar Abba. So Rabbi Boon ben Chia in the name of Shmuel bar Abba says, Mikavan, right? Right? So in other words, once this person states that during the later part of Shrita, right, that he's slaughtering it not for its own sake, right? Now it's not for a Pesach, now it's for a Shlamim. It's as if he slaughtered it in silence. That's the word that they use, and not for its own sake. And it actually becomes kosher. Because in other words, an animal that was designated to be a Pesach, and, it, and, and it's before the afternoon of the 14th, right? How is it, right? Can it really be offered as a Korban Pesach? So here we're talking about if somebody slaughters this type of animal before the afternoon of the 14th without any specific intention, right? In other words, he's, he, it, we're going to say it is like he did sort of slaughter it for the sake of the Pesach itself, right? Then that's going to obviously be invalid. But, right, because you can't bring a Korban Pesach before the afternoon. But if he's doing it shalom lishma, in other words, it's not for the Pesach, right? 
even though that's originally what it was, it actually becomes valid. You actually are allowed to bring it. So I know that that's actually like a whole head spinning thing, but I just was so thrilled to see this discussion again on the dot and see the Yerushalmi version of it. I also love when these when these fall out like this. I didn't mean any to cast any aspersions. Oh. Well, that's our Daft discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, re- review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page. Uh, come tell us what you think about, oh, Shkalim and Karbarot and the Chatat and the amount of money and the beautiful lineup of the 14th of Nissan on the 14th of Nissan. Come, uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hagram website. And until... <laughs>